edits. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're live. Hey, everybody. How's it going? How's it going? I know everybody saw my tweet over the weekend when uh, I I realized that, you know, Brad grew up in in Oakey country as a kid. And so he's an Oklahoma fan. I didn't realize I forgot they're known as the Boomer Sooners. That's right. Yeah, so I put that hashtag back into play in one of your tweet threads, Brad. (laughs) The criminals that came in early and stole the land. The Boomer Sooners. Yeah. Well, we all know what Boomer really means, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Hey, I just was talking to a friend today. I'm getting an an echo on myself. Hmm. Let me check this loopback thing, see if that's the problem. Um. I um I was talking to a friend today and um I uh he told me that I'm actually a member of Generation Jones. I've heard that reference too, but it's not like a what is the what's the year range on that one? Well, it's uh, 65, which is the year I was born, um through uh I don't remember now. I got to look at it again. Uh, 70 Yeah, it overlaps a a lot of Gen X too. So yeah, yeah. Are you getting an echo from me when you're hearing me? No, I'm not. Good. I'll just survive the echo till I figure out what I'm doing. Hold on, right. I'm on, I'm on. Yeah, I'm muted on laptop. I'm good there. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, so markets took a little bit of a shit yesterday. Yeah, but I mean, look. So I was looking at. I was in there this morning, and I see like five hours of. You know, five green hourly candles there. So, you know, I, I kind of like yeah, ETH feel is like way, hmm? ETH is down in the thirteen hundreds. Um, yeah, Bitcoin's trying to get some of it back, but ETH is ETH is. Uh, well, well, we all shit. knew. I mean, everybody, you know, buy the news, sell the event. I mean, it sounds trite, but it's it's real. So I think people are kind of. <laughs> starting to figure out i mean if you got a bunch of eth staked right now um you know you can't do anything yeah for a while right six months i can hear you barely yeah but i can hear you it's garbled a little bit oh the fuck that's good right there whatever you're doing there all right that's what she said well then i yeah as soon as i say it and of course there's you know a little bit of up and down Seems to be holding that 19 something range now, which, yeah. you know, basically got back most of that drop at, uh, you know, from 19.5 to 18.6, then down to 18.350 or something. So I didn't really, when I saw that, I was like, okay, nothing, nothing to see here. ETH, though, is the bigger story, as you say, Brad, in that, you know, how many people are selling the event at this point? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, but again, I saw a nice recovery there. I see, but then a little bit of trading off. So back up 1380, back down 1343. Again, when you look at like the four hour candles, um, it just looks like it's kind of at that point right now where it's trying to decide what to do again. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And I don't see a lot of news that makes it decide to go up myself. Well, isn't the new. Aren't there new rates coming up? That's Wednesday. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I just... yeah, my, well, look, with that, you know, we talk a lot about macro. And the reason we do with the audience is that if the U.S. right now, if the U.S. stock market's not doing well, 
crypto is not doing well. Yeah. So we tend to talk about things that affect that just because it cascades down. Now, hopefully there will be a day when aspects of uh, the cryptocurrency world are decoupled from that or they're an inverse relationship, a hedge relationship. That day's not here yet, but no. hopefully it will be soon. And so we talk about that just because that determines um, how much fresh money can come into the system, how much demand there is. And there yeah. really is the most demand I see out there ever is when the U.S. stock market's booming. And then BTC booms and then everything booms. So, you know, I apologize if if we insult anybody by talking too much or if we annoy people by talking too much macro. But there's a thesis there that affects everything that you do, at least from our opinion. Yep. So that's why. Getting all this shit out. Hold on. But, yeah, I saw the South Korean government. Requested a red notice from Interpol. Interpol going hard. Dozen, going hard. Canceled his, I guess, Korean passport. But, you know, yeah. we know there's passports. I think they're operating in Singapore. So he's probably got a Singapore passport. He's probably got a, you know, somewhere like Nevit. Not, not casting aspersions to any of these places because it's legitimate. Um, you know, like Nevis has a pretty interesting program. Um Obviously, Panama, those places, but Europe, too. So, you know, it's a lot of them are ones where you come in and buy real estate. I mean, even the U.S. Oh, what am I talking about? You yeah. come in here easy with money and get a passport in a shorter period of time. But it's just everywhere. So you got to expect it. You know, there's no restrictions on, um, I think, South Koreans and owning more than one. So you, you typical age. God, I'm not trying to sound stereotypical. But just because of the movement, usually there's a couple of passports in the uh, briefcase over there. Yeah. So. Peter Zihan uh, put out a, uh, a video on uh, Saturday uh, basically saying if you're in China, it's too late and you're not going to get your money out. If you're an investor in China. Yep. Foreign. Yeah. yeah. I, I you're think. Get it out because of the sanctions that happened today. You guys want, should I play this? Oh, shit, dude. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Should I play this? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, and did you see Biden last night on 60 Minutes said unequivocally? If they attack Taiwan, U.S. forces will defend Taiwan. Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't hear. I didn't watch it, but um, yeah. Yeah. I think everybody knows we're going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're committed to our defense. To you from just below the glaciers that feed into Lake yes. Louise uh, in Alberta, Canada. Uh, the other big news that happened today is that uh, there is now an official trade block from the United States on airline sales, uh, air, airframe sales uh, to China uh, in the aftermath of the Chinese little snit fit when Speaker Pelosi went to Taiwan and they basically started threatening everybody. Uh, the Defense Department decided that that is a step too far and that civilian aviation transfer technologies should no longer be allowed to the Chinese. And so today the Chinese are throwing sanctions on Boeing. Boeing has a number of planes that they already made for the Chinese that were kind of in abeyance that are no longer going to China anymore. And we are at the start of a firm technological split between China and the United States. Now, some version of this was already in progress in other sectors, specifically semiconductors. Because of new regulations that have been sketched out by the Biden administration that are basically taking Trump's techs and making them into permanent policy, Uh, The Chinese can no longer import any of the equipment that is necessary to make high and medium quality chips, and they can't import the high quality chips at all. Or more to the point, American sellers of this stuff that you can either sell to the Chinese government or you can sell to the U.S. government. You can't do both anymore. And so for American companies, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the same as a ban. 
the debate going on, uh, not just in Washington, but in the Netherlands and in Britain and Japan, is to how far down to go on the scale. So can you still sell medium quality chips to the Chinese? Can you still sell the gear that's necessary to make the low quality chips? All of this is now on the table and I expect we're gonna see stricter and stricter restrictions. Uh, and the Chinese have proven over and over and over again that they can't manufacture any of this stuff on their own. Yes, 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 one guy did manage to develop a seven nanometer chip and good for him, but that's kind of like Aristotle. So you have one dude translating that into the overall system is something the Chinese have proven over and over and over again that is just beyond them. They can't even make the gear for the low-end chip manufacturer. So just as we're having a divorce economically between the Germans and the Russians, we are now past the point of no return between the Chinese and the Americans. So I've been warning a lot of my clients for a couple of years now that this was coming and it's time to get your people out and your technology out and cash out however you can. At this point, because the Chinese are doing counter sanctions, it's probably too late for anyone who has remained. And it's time to start writing down all of your assets in the People's Republic uh, to zero. I mean, you might be able to get a little bit out, but you should count on the entire corporate relationship collapsing over the course of the next year or three. So. Um, look, long time coming. Um, they notoriously steal intellectual property, copycat, mimic. I've yep. seen zero innovation there. And yep. I was there for, this is in the late aughts, but for a good three to four years in deals everywhere. Tech deals, biotech deals. Uh, I can't internet. name a single piece of innovation out of China. Name one? I can't name one. Well, no, you know, ironically, what's interesting is U.S. Pharma, well, Western pharmaceutical companies have gone in there and sequenced ancient Chinese medicine um, recipes and turned them into pharmaceuticals uh, that have generated billions of dollars. Now, they didn't innovate it. I mean, it's, it's historical, I guess, analog tech, but, you know, bringing it to the market and all of that was not was not them. Um, I can't think of anything. I, I remember a lot of like stuff that was primed up and, um, you know, in the end, it turned out just to be a bunch of BS. There was nothing there. Nothing. nothing. And so... We cut them off from all these chips. I mean, they're floundering. They're already floundering. Yeah. You know, why in the world? Oh, this is like, I think, a warning shot. Like, look, if if you go after Taiwan, first of all, if there's a war, you're not going to get to that chip shit you're trying to get out of Taiwan anyway. And so get ready because we're going to cut you off from everything. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a class of civilizations is going on or getting ready to happen here. Um you know, the world is divided into two camps. Yep. It's, yep. you know, uh, aspire, you know, we'll just call them, for lack of a better word, democracies, or at least ones to try versus totalitarian dictatorship. And, you know, two of the ones in this mess right now are totalitarian dictatorships. Yeah. So, you know, and that's a good, I don't remember how many people the Russians have these days. I want to say maybe 130 million or something. Chinese, I know the Indians got 1.6 B, but Chinese got to have like 1.4, 1.5 billion. I mean, don't the Russians see they're getting ready to get just gobbled up? And the yeah. Chinese, you know, I mean, they're in the same boat because where are all their foreign reserves sitting? There's nowhere for them to put dollars other than in Western banks. Yeah. So, you know, and then they go pull a move. I think this Taiwan shit always goes up and down. And I think it's all tied you know, this messaging aside from who is this guy? Uh, uh, this guy's good. Uh, send me his link because I want to talk. I am. He's that geopolitical expert. This guy is fucking. Yeah, he's on. sharp. Yeah. But yeah. it's, um, 
you know, supply chains are all moving out of China. So, you know, we know who the big, you know, Apple's, I mean, it used to be pretty much the whole supply chain was there. I mean, and that's coming out. So uh, Boeing supply chain, I mean, Airbus was in there. I mean, these guys routinely steal the tech. Dannon was in there. This is the one I always kind of chuckled about. So they did the JV and then the Chinese steal all the IP. And then they say, ah, we don't need you anymore. And so we're launching this new company, uh, Dan O-N-E, instead of D-A-N-N-O-N. And so new, <laughs> you're like, I think I got lost here for a second. You know, but yeah. it's just the counter, I was driving around with people and I was like, well, where's the Caterpillar facility? Is that it over there? And I look and there's this yard filled with, I don't know, thousands of big yellow construction things, the giant stuff. And I walk yeah. up, it's not Caterpillar. It's somebody else's, some you know, yeah. other name. And, but it's Caterpillar's trademark yellow. And it's yep. exact copies of Caterpillar. Um, it's just that they're cheaper. They don't last as long. So they don't innovate. They copy, they mimic. So to me, I'm kind of like, you know, I think the word is out on them. I mean, this is just yeah. government policy I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Chinese people. But, you know, you always, I still have friends um, and people from there that I thought were awesome people. And, you know, at the person to person level, it's very good um, with the Chinese. I just how, how much the average uh, Chinese person, citizen, understands the level of manipulation that they experience. You know, it's um, even it's, back then they really don't. I mean, I was watching a protest from the hotel. So we were in Shanghai. I mean, they did a lot in Hong Kong and a little bit in Beijing, but a lot of Shanghai. And I remember looking down. Um, we stayed right by. Oh, is it Renmin Square or People's Park or something? You know, it's a nice monument in there. And you're like, oh, what's that for? And they're like, and they're always sensitive about how they say it, but it's a monument to commemorate the massacre of a bunch of Chinese by the British <laughs> Army or something. And you're like standing there going, oh, yeah, okay, next. I'll move on. But, you know, they don't really get it that they're not seeing all the information. No, I guess they what know I mean. it's there. Yeah. Smarter ones know how to get to it. Right. Um, but, you know, that whole society has transformed so much in the last 12 years. It's nothing like when we were there. Um, right. There was no real surveillance state like that in place. I mean, you had the same old, same old bad construction, fake financials. You had all the usual stuff, but you just didn't have that like meanness that seems to be there now. Yeah. And so that's why I think holds them back on their brand. And maybe there's a big pivot going on. Um, you know, China using Russia. To, yeah, no, I agree with that, Niblets. I mean, Niblet says big danger is China using Russia, Ukraine as a proxy war with the West. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, but they would have to overtly support Russia in a way. And anything like that would trigger sanctions. I mean, not like airframe sanctions. I mean, sanctioning the banks and seizing foreign currency yeah. reserve. Yeah. So I have a feeling they know based upon Xi backing away from Putin last week. I have a feeling they kind of know, look, if this thing goes into the shitter, we're all going to be fighting, competing over those East Siberian oil fields. So we don't want the U.S. all pissed off at us when it comes time to divvy that shit up between Japan, China, and the U.S. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, I mean, this is just did my personal see, opinion, of course. I'm not hanging out in any... The Chinese, uh, I don't know who it was he was meeting with, but... Modi, the Indian was, premier. No, no, no. This was a Chinese meeting. Uh, oh. And they made him wait on camera until he showed up. And then he showed up, 
and he had a set of notes. And another video by Zihan talks about the fact that Putin was reading Chinese written notes because of the dialect they forced him to use and the way that they were worded. That, in fact, he thought that Putin was now at the point of begging so deeply that he's actually just being told what to say by the Chinese. Yeah, well, look, what the Chinese are the masters of music leverage. I mean, again, I'm not trying to stereotype people, but, you know, Asian business culture is, you know, like I think anything in humanity, it's just more noticeable there that, you know, if you're needy, you know, they turn the screws on you. They don't just do deals to be nice. I mean, that's why they're buying all this oil and gas from them. They're like 35% of the market price because they're like, okay, you know, the U.S., I don't know for 100%, but I've seen it mentioned multiple times that the U.S. signaled to both India and China, buy all the shit you want from them, but just buy it 35% below, 35% below the market price. Right. So it trashes most of the profit margin. And, you know, because it's good for India, you know, they, they're always trying to look for a little leg up. It's good for the Indian sure. people. Sure. And same with uh, with China. So, you know, again, it's always these strategies of, you know, not kind of going against the uh, the population is hard in these things, but trying to benefit the population. So, yep. you know, I don't know. I think he's going to keep turning the screws on Putin. And I feel sorry for my Russian friends, but you better start boning up on your Chinese <laughs> because you guys are firmly turning into a vassal of the Chinese state. The best thing hey. now is to cut your deal with NATO and be done yeah. with it shit. Yeah. Eamon says, man, this is crazy. So many battlefronts. It feels like the 80s to me. Or, or late 70s, early 80s to me. Like, well, to me, when I think back to there, I mean, the only thing we ever thought about was the Soviet War. We had hmm? like all kinds of, we had all those proxy wars ongoing in, in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, there were four main proxy wars. There was obviously Nicaragua. There was Angola. There was Cambodia and there was Afghanistan. Yeah. And it was there part was, of the, oh, the Reagan oh, doctrine, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, it was Reagan. Yeah. And this, this was where, you know, actually there were, you know, there were, you know, groups being supported. Actually, I wrote my honors thesis about this in undergrad, just uh -huh. so you know how much of a dork I was. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know, you had Savimbi in Angola. And he was being supported by uh, the U.S. because the Cubans were in supporting the uh, the Marxist government there. So this is what kind of led to the downfall of Cuban, too, because they all went over there. And again, not stereotyping, but a lot of HIV was contracted and brought back to the Cuban island by these troops. And uh, Castro didn't even want them back. He was trying to leave them in Africa. <clears throat> so you had that going on. You had, of course, the Contras in um, Nicaragua, Afghanistan. You had the Mujahideen. Um, you know, we were supporting them. And then in Cambodia, you had the uh, uh, Khmer Rouge against Hun Sen, or what, there was a Cambodian premier. But it was kind of an extension because there was also another, you know, Vietnam had invaded Cambodia. So there were these four messy situations. And that doesn't even count the other, the crazy stuff, like, you know, Ethiopians starving in the millions and stuff. Or the South African stuff going on there with, uh, you know, post-apartheid type of, yeah, uh, coming together. So yeah. lots of stuff happens. But the, I always looked at that as the kind of the big Cold War. Everything to me was sort of lumped into the U.S. against the Soviets. Right. And so I saw that. Now I see it as truly, you know, I mean, to to Eamon's point, um, 
you know, you look at like with the Russian, like the Wagner group in Syria, Libya, Mali, and another African country operating there. Um, and then repatriating or recruiting, you know, Syrian uh, Mujahideen and bringing them back into the Ukraine-Russia fight. Um, it's just they're all over the place. But they got no staying power. They have no foundation. I mean, they are as declining as it can be. And what they really need to think about is, God, how do we just change this so we are part of Europe? Right. I just can't get to it more than that. That's what this is all about. You yeah. do that and this shit all goes away. I mean, the Ukrainians are going to be pissed at you for a while. I can't help <laughs> you there. Sorry. But, you know, you do a move like that and show that you want to be part of it. And then the China, same thing, you know, but on a lo lesser scale because it's not as critical to me. But with China, you know, you can't walk around making shit up within, you know, like these nine dash line crap that everybody says, including the Hague, that it's BS. And you yeah. can't walk around like it's something and use it to rile your people up because now if you back off from that at all, your population is pissed at you for looking weak because you already yeah, told them how horrible we all are. Yeah, you're backing yourself in a corner. Yeah. It's just, Niblet, you says, Niblet says the Chinese uh, built Hawaii yep. from stealing everything from Nortel. And Eamon yep. says, hadn't China been loading up on gold over the last decade? Make makes loss of access to USD less relevant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's why they did load up on so much gold. But um, ultimately, if you got money in the bank, you want access to it. And the US has, and Europe has shown that if you fuck around, we'll shut off your bank accounts. So um, yeah. I think anything oh. that's good came out of this Russian shit. Everybody was so outraged, but you know, it also benefits us on the crypto side to point out the uh, weakness. Having not hypocrisy, that's not the word, but you know what I mean. The dependence. Yeah, this is a having on the platform. Exactly. exactly. But Eamon, the thing on gold, um, China and India are big gold-consuming societies, primarily for jewelry. So the women will wear it, and it's portable wealth. So right. if they have to go or leave, you know, they always have it on them. So that's why there's so much gold uh, purchases in China and India. Historically, it's their it's their crypto, basically. You know, Amen. Like, China and India are always accumulating gold. <laughs> exactly. So it's in their culture. Um, you know, and I don't think they get access to a lot of diamonds and you can't like shave off a chunk of a diamond, you know, gold, it's malleable. You can cut it and break it like the old Spanish. Uh, was it the balloon where it had the, the four pieces you could break those uh, gold coins and yeah, that's yeah. what came up with the word quarter. So when you paid, you'd break that coin in half. Or in the quarters or eights. Trivia today. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just, I've been. No, I like that. I like yeah. that. Uh, Eamon said two true niblets wins. When will they switch to BTC? I love that. Yeah. Niblets said pieces of eight. That's right. Uh, same, same. Uh, breakup yep. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Let's get to some DeFi, man. Yeah, let's do it. So I'm excited because I'm a Rabbi wallet user, as I've told everybody before, and it now supports Canto. So that's great news. That's that's good news. There's just great news coming out of that project. Well, I have every to, day. I have to I have to uh, say that last night or yesterday afternoon, there was some kind of an issue with um, uh, some of the smaller nodes, uh, validator nodes, uh, getting kicked off, um, and they're trying to figure out what it was. It happened at the same time when there were governance votes yesterday. There were three governance votes. Uh, to reduce the emissions for the next 30 days um, and do some other things technical with the system. 
And at the same time that that happened, some smaller nodes were kicked off. Um, and um, so they're examining it. Devs are on it. Everything's functioning now. But um, it, it's important to note that this is a new chain and so there will be problems. So uh, do it at your own risk, do your own research. But, you know, I'm loving what I'm seeing over there. Yeah, and, you know, it kind of feeds into you know, sort of our discussion on Friday about decentralization versus centralization. What I like about this is it's it's the ideal. I mean, at least I haven't followed it the last week or so, but at the beginning is the ideal of what you're um, discussing or saying. You know, it's like they are trying to do this, a right. fully decentralized platform. And that's, you know, experiment, innovation, whatever. That's the edge. This stuff is always going to be here. So when I talk about maybe well i guess the regulatory compliance scheme on top of all that you know i always see this um uh line linear line like centralization left or centralization and decentralization here and then regulation is sort of the same thing but it's sliding scales so and i think even degrees if the, of centralization there you go that's the word that's the phrase and so even if stuff like again my mind like aves or only swaps or those have to come into some form of regulatory compliance these projects will always keep happening as big money gets rolled up into the platform new innovative stuff will continuously keep coming out and stuff will be learned along the way to where maybe eventually let's say if it's a u.s jurisdiction something like this can really thrive yeah but also jurisdictionally this can thrive anywhere so, you know, sometimes I get a little too U.S. centric in my perspective as to regulation. But, you know, the bottom line is that's the U.S. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'll tell you, I told you this before, that some of the lawyers that I deal with in New York were uh, two years ago, a year ago, were saying, look, most of our clients are now working overseas on projects, waiting for the regulatory environment to settle down. And then they're going to come back and get compliant. Right. So. There's a multitude of strategies, but, you know, I think we all are trying to get to the same place. Yeah. I, at least most of us. Um, I don't think there is that idealistic utopia that a lot of people well, want gonna, in a lot of different areas, you know, all, all causes. I take, one, I take one from the um, Republican political playbook, which is if you want to move the window, you've got to go to the extreme. I don't like their extreme, but that from a messaging perspective, from a policy perspective, you know, getting to that extreme position as your initial talking point is the way you get to the better version of what you want or the closer version. No, it's true. It's easier to move to the, to the point you wanted to get at from yeah. there to concede I mean, it. I mean, they have fundamentally changed the nature of U.S. politics doing that, and it's highly effective. So, well, uh, I yeah, it's shock, shock factor. Yeah. And then, then like, oh, no, if you don't do this, we're going to, like, not take our ball and go home, but we're going to burn the gym down, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you make <laughs> shocking something you say over and over and over again, then it becomes less shocking, right? Well, and also there's a mutually assured destruction element in a lot of that. Exactly. Matter. That's true, too. That's true and too. everybody's like, fuck it, I don't want to deal with these clowns. So Doquan tweeted this weekend or Friday that uh, he's not on the run, but isn't going to tell anybody where he is. So, you know, yeah, South Korea's got Interpol after his ass. Can you can you hide if you have two and a half billion dollars that you stole? 
I don't think so, man. I think that because how uh, does he cash it out? Well, okay, look, maybe you, you already cashed them out. Crossing borders is going to be tricky because there's so much biometrics now in in documents. Yeah, and you know, I mean, like I said, iris print stuff is in a lot of the databases already. It's going to be very hard for him to move across borders. And if he does, the facial rec systems will probably pick him up on that alone. Yeah. Um, moving through airports. Now, of course, he could fly private and do things like that where it might be a little less strict, but I, I would have to think that. Um, they flights. Yeah, they're going to be. I mean, they know the five or six locations he probably could be. And they're sort of watching and probably looking once Interpol gets formally involved. They'll start looking at who came in and out of those locations, looking for something. Um, I doubt if he's running around a passport called Steve Smith or Joe <laughs> Blow. You know, it's going to be some type of Korean name. Yeah. So they're just going to start looking at all the Koreans. Yep, absolutely. You know, so, and, and he probably even got the other passports in his own name. Yeah. You know, because you don't usually mm, – it's a little big jump to change your name on a second. Well, and if, are you, unless you've been planning to have to disappear before this. Right. Like, because yeah. You've got to have planned that in advance to get to the right people to get you fake passports. But yeah. you know what happens then? The people that do that are usually not the most scrupulous people in the world. Of course. And when you show up on the run, oh, yeah, we quoted you five million. What's the reward? Million. Yeah. And then what's, what's the reward? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ten percent of the seized assets, probably. Of you know the assets. So 210 percent of uh, yeah, 250 million. Yeah, so Coin Telegraph's reporting, you know, on the bloodbath this weekend. But here's the reason it's such a bad bloodbath because people are fucking idiots. Are these uh, the people that were longing it? No, the people are just fucking so leveraged that they fucking this, no. this cascading shit. You know, it's the hundred X shit. Yeah, it's yeah. just so fucking frustrating. It's like, look, what? How how many times you got to watch everyone get destroyed to figure out that you don't always know what the fuck you're doing, right? <laughs> just because you think the bottom's in doesn't mean the bottom's in, dumbass. You know, it's just, I, I don't fucking get it. I, Sometimes I you got to walk away and, for a little bit and, and re reinitiate your entry. Because um, this sort of reminds me of, you know, again, a craps analogy, but... It's the kind of guy who's up there playing or blackjack, anything, gambling thing. And he's getting his ass kicked and his response is to start doubling down. <laughs> Instead of like, fuck it, I'm going to go get a drink and leave. Take a fucking you know? break. Yeah, and then come back and then kind of start in gingerly and work your way back up. But when it's going against you, that's not, that's the whole shtick. That's why gambling exists. Yeah. That's why investing exists. And then when so, it's going against you, don't borrow fucking money. <laughs> No. When the market's down, when the macro all says, when every expert in the fucking field says, well, we can have some more downside here. Oh, you know what? I'm going to leverage 100 I'm going to, I'm going to. Oh, wait, but first, DX. let me take a home equity line out on my house first. And then let's go use that to leverage 100X because the bottom's in because dipshit bozo in the jacuzzi told me so, who has 4,000 followers. You know, it's just like, what the frig, guys? Wake up. Wake the fuck up. And by the way, you're fucking the rest of us when you do this shit. So uh, I had dinner uh, with some friends on Saturday night. You know, they always ask me, what about what's up with crypto? How's the show? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I start talking to them a little bit about it, but I'm always hesitant to go too deep because I know it's kind of always going to be like this 
if I get excited and really start talking about DeFi, I know I'm going to lose them in 20 seconds. You know what I mean? So yeah, right after the word DeFi. <laughs> I, I, res I resist it. And I'll make the comment like, oh, it's about decentralized finance, blah, blah, blah. Well, I started talking to this guy and he's like, oh, no, man, I'm, I'm deep in crypto, man. I got Bitcoin and Ethereum and Doge, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, have you set up, have you set up your own wallet? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I, I get everything on Coinbase. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I tweeted he's not, this. he's not on Twitter, is he? No. No. Okay. So <laughs> I tweeted this this weekend. I, you know, we're not early because we always say we're early. We're not even fucking early. We're premature. We can ignore all the stories that talk about X number of people on crypto. It's irrelevant. 99.9% .9 of those folks have zero clue what the, the fuck DeFi is. And then I own BTC, Doge, and ETH on Coinbase is not being part of crypto and DeFi. Um, and I but say hey, we like it, we like it, we like it. You know? Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do, but there's a lot of opportunity. I mean, and there is. It, it's astounding to me every time I talk to an, a normie, it's oh, yeah, I own some crypto. And but they don't, they have zero understanding. They have zero understanding of how crypto works, and they have zero understanding of that even DeFi exists. Like that, there, and this is a guy, give me, get this to me. This is a guy that owns a company. I'm not going to disclose. Sure. But he owns a company that does millions and millions of dollars in the financial sector, like huge amounts of money, owns a bunch of things here in South Florida, all tied to the financial sector, wealthy, set, understands money, how it works in the US, has bought evidently thousands and thousands of dollars worth of crypto on Coinbase, but hasn't been curious enough to like figure it out. Right. Just, Oh, I'm speculating. It's all speculation. And that's all it is. You know? It's yeah. I, I don't think they have time. I mean, think about how much time we spend trying to figure this out all the time. Uh, think about, remember how hard it was to like set up the first RPC to get over to Polygon, you know, from Ethereum year of the first deposit you did into an L as an LP. The Do I, it's, I remember it. I, you and I were on the fucking phone when we did it. We did. No, it was definitely it was a Doki Doki one. No, no, there was another. L Maybe it was Doki Doki LP, but I don't know. But I just remember vividly you and I both like, okay, here we fucking go. Yeah, like <laughs> that was maybe April May of 2021, if I'm not mistaken, no, right? No, it was 2020. I'm pretty sure. 2020. Yeah, but, yeah, it was that. Okay, so. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was like complicated. And then you had to like, what's this permanent loss shit? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you I didn't figure that out. You're like, I lost till afterwards because I didn't even know what the fuck it was. Yeah. And then I said, oh shit, I got to do stables on half this shit from yeah. here on. But, um, says, uh, most people think Celsius, Nexo, et cetera, are DeFi. They don't understand the difference between on chain and off. Yeah. The, the concept of a wallet is like, what the fuck's that? Yeah. Yeah. But, but look, this is again, I like, Okay, I like the consumer adoption, but I don't know if these people will ever get as sophisticated as us at it because they just don't have as much time as we do. I mean, our jobs are this, you know? Right, but they don't have to, right? There are, you know, companies like Brew and others that are kind of shielding them from the inter from the, okay. the intricacy of the interface, right? So let's give them a non-custodial wallet, but make it one-click access to Ave yields. Right. And yeah, I like that. that. Make it simple. Yeah, yeah. So that's you know, that's the kind of shit that that 
that'll happen. And then here's the thing that happens. There's a segment of those people that go, well, what, what's this Ave thing? Let me, let me go check this out. Oh, look at that. That shit's cool. Oh, wait, let me look at this. You know, that's, that's mm -hmm. when you start going down the rabbit hole. So, uh, Eamon says, they'll never figure that out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first DeFi transaction. Wow, dude. dude. What the fuck? What the? F That's just friggin' nuts from a ledger. Ouch! How was your first DeFi transaction. That's insane. That's brutal, dude. He must have spent like weeks studying it beforehand because he's a developer. He's he's full on. Yeah, he's smart. Geek, Very smart. So, yeah. Yeah, that's probably it. Shizzy says, we need those people, though, because that's our exit liquidity next bull market. You're right, buddy. You're right. I mean, look, this is what I always talk about institutionals coming in. And, you know, there is there is that. You do get that kind of nostalgic feeling for, you know, what you aspired for all of this to be five or six years ago. And then you're like, oh, shit, it's going to get some of it. This is going to get boring. But that's the exit liquidity, too. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. So, you know, to me, if you, you know, you're the small investor, the big investor, the underground investor, the whatever, you know, all those guys coming in just means that it's going to be customers for us to head out and move yeah. on to the next thing. You yeah. know, the, the cantos of the future, let's say, because um, you see all that stuff we talk about out there. I mean, you know, between uh, Canto and fusion change fusion and all just spirit i mean and i'm leaving out eighty thousand plays but there's so much cool new stuff happening in DeFi that these these people you're talking about brad they don't even know about DeFi summer no. <laughs> let alone oh. DeFi 2.0 let alone this next one is coming yeah well so and i think very bullish there yeah me too look i think that there will be I think there's a lot of people working on entry points to DeFi that simplify it, dumb it down. And, and I think it's necessary. And then I, I think obviously the, the actual protocol interfaces are going to get better and things are going to get easier and all the composability is going to end up being put into other interface wrappers and, and all of that shit's going to happen. It's just, my point is that we, we always like to talk about, oh, you know, X percent of America, whatever, 22% of Americans own crypto. No, they may own it, but they don't know what the fuck it is. Maybe two to 5% even understand crypto. And then a smaller percentage than that have even scratched the surface of DeFi. I mean, it's like the fucking numbers are just going to be a stupid big later because well, dude, if you I think about how much money has come into this and, and then look at the world population and how many people actually i don't know if he's done that study like if you just take the number global of wallets, adoption huh the average wallet times the global population well what i'm thinking is is w what is the real percentage of people that have actually understood and used crypto and DeFi? right w what uh, does that look like i gotta say it's in the zero, point zero, four zeros and a one maybe yeah and then think about the fact that we got to one trillion in in market at some point. Yeah. So what the fuck does this look like when five percent is in? Right. Well, I mean, that's just think of, just think yeah. about that tokenization study we talked about last week. Uh, Sixteen trillion, I believe, by twenty thirty is there to potentially be tokenized. You know, yeah. I mean, look, 
that takes it from one. I mean, it's not all, of course, but let's say three of it gets in there before 2030. And all of a sudden, yeah. it's a $4 trillion market. Yeah. So it's coming. I mean, I think that I'm just glad they're buying the stuff. And even if they don't know what it is, at least your guy, I mean, aside from the Doge, I mean, the other two are, you know, nice, safe Good investments. You know, oh, no, because I, like I think the, I think Doge will end up being adopted as a payment. You, you, it would be foolish for platforms not to adopt Doge as a payment mechanism yeah. because of the massive retail adoption of it. That's true. We talk about that. Yeah, the community. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah but, but it is like you said. It's everybody sticking their toe in the water and claiming to be a swimmer. You know. Yeah. So, Ethereum proof of work uh, suffered a relay attack. What was that about? 4,000 experts already predicted that beforehand. Mm. Shed 18% of its value. This was as of yesterday. What uh, is it? Huh? I saw it's on chain change finance or change fusion now. DJ. Yeah, I, that actually, I was a little disappointed that they adopted it, but I, I get it. I, put, I thought it was okay. I mean, the cross, it kind of is a test case, or, or I don't know, a, a case, not test, but for that cross-chain roaming stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is pretty cool. If you use that to sort of work out the kinks there, in case there's anything to worry about, then it's a nice little test. So this like, is- If it doesn't work, you're like, oh, this fucking ETH work, man. What do you this expect? This is a year chart on most protocols, This, but in this is ETH proof of work seven-day chart. <laughs> Well, gee, hmm, I wonder who predicted that was going to go down to almost nothing. B05 crypt, B05 crypto did. Well, look, <laughs> with passion. At, at the end of the day, right here is where all the miners sold, right? Yeah. They knew it was coming. They held it. They held it. They held it. They didn't sell off their ETH. And they figured I'll take an extra 10% on top of what I'm going to get from my ETH. And, uh, you know. What's interesting is, is that the volume down below? The volume bars? Yeah. Well, look, he's like, they got out, like, because they didn't, their volume on their dump was so small yeah. compared to, like, the volume when you see it sort of troughing there. And it's like, are people, well, green, red, green, red, or whatever. But, I mean, they moved that down so fast with so little volume. <laughs> I mean, it was a snow dog, basically. At that yeah, exactly. Point. Yeah. Niblet says uh, folks don't uh, think of their mortgage as a leveraged investment in some mm -hmm. same way. How do we get people to use DeFi without them knowing? Yeah, that's a good point, right? That that you're leveraging against your investment. People just think of it as as a way to buy something. Um, so uh, that is a good point. Yeah. How do we do that? I, uh, I'll wait for Niblet to come up with that for us. Um, ah, no, I haven't read this yet, so I can't talk about it. Uh, this was pretty interesting. I'm going to put this in the show notes. Um, this is how, um, for those of you that are not highly technical, this is a great little introductory on how um, the Cosmos, I believe it's the Cosmos IBC system works for bridging Bitcoin over. Uh, but in, I'm sorry, Polkadot. And uh, um, and how they built the bridge and how it functions. It's a really nice primer uh, for people. Um Anyway, you want to go back to a little bit of macro? Got to slow to liquidate. Have to think about hmm? it. I got a little. I got a little bit of macro. Found a great All new right, account. To, this thing was burning up. This uh, account Doomberg. Um, yeah. Of which, Joe, the, uh, keep in mind the, these guys because these guys went from 
consulting to companies to 100% content creation with a subscription Substack, um, with their analysis on macro events, world mm -hmm. mainly energy focused. So they're primarily energy focused. This thread, I'm going to put this in the show notes. I tweeted it this weekend, but I, I shouldn't be shocked, but I was fucking shocked <laughs> because essentially they, they start off the thread by talking about the history of energy in Europe. Right. And then mm -hmm. how wood was the energy um, and it ran out because they ran out of trees and then they discovered coal could be burned for energy. And so they went to coal and then they're back around where, and then they went to nuclear and then Germany said, fuck nuclear. And everybody else started to say, fuck nuclear. And then we're back around to wood. But here's the crazy fucking thing about this. The, the wood they claim is uh, carbon neutral because <laughs> the trees are not cut down in Britain and they're not processed in Britain. They're processed in the United States. And there's some technicality that allows them to claim carbon neutrality on these wood pellets they get that actually emit all the carbon and pollution while they're, um, while they're processed in the United States by this company called Inviva that claims to be like this great climate change warrior company as in fact shredding trees all over the United States, Southern United States to create these pellets to ship to, to Europe. So now Britain is, is, is going to be dependent on wood again because of this whole Russian Ukraine thing. Anyway, awesome bread. I, I was just kind of, at a level of shocked um, about kind of this scam about climate change and carbon neutrality. You know, <clears throat> there's all these weird things going on. I remember looking at some deal, it was like, I don't know, it was 20 years ago, but there were some guys, I mean, a different project. I was remembering some Gazprom guys running around for a second, but there were guys running around with like letters of credit from big, big funds and big, energy concerns, Aramco, Gazprom, and, you know, it's a cousin of somebody or a brother or a son, and, you know, they come off to the West with this basically $500 million letter of credit, and they start doing things, and, and I remember that the way they were, they had this weird way to finance it, and it was essentially, I mean, it sounded like it's a whole friggin' scam, but, but it just wasn't, but I had a hard time figuring it out myself, but there was a way in Europe where you could do something with third world debt that's gone bad and you can buy it and package it into a security it was being done in Switzerland. And then I guess you could bundle that up for about like, you know, let's just say it was 90 cents or whatever, but then that same security would sell in New York for 98 cents. <laughs> so what they were doing is they were basically arbing it, but they would finance big purchases and then move it to New York and sell it and doing that and then use that money to finance, you know, uh, the deals. So this doesn't surprise me because everybody, well, you, you know, I don't, but I don't really, somebody's gaming a, obviously a categorization of a product to get rebates and, yeah. Funding and climate neutrality. Yeah. And here's their concluding tweet. A single it, pellet of a uranium fuel, no bigger than your fingertip, provides as much energy as a ton of coal and certainly even more wood. 
how many trees will be clear cut before this boondoggle of absurdity is stopped? And it just goes back to kind of this whole fucking knee jerk reaction to nuclear that I harp on all the fucking time. Like if, if in the eighties we hadn't like completely knee jerk reacted to um, Chernobyl, um, we could actually be as a planet, not even close to the cliff we're on for climate, right? If we had dramatically expanded our research, our, our deployment, our, our, our use of nuclear, we could be like not worried about climate right now. But as a world and as countries, we did not. We well, all got scared. Yeah. Well, don't forget, I think before Chernobyl, we had our U.S. one at Three Mile Island. Yeah. And I'm going to say, what was that, 79 maybe? Um, and that yeah. was a meltdown. I mean, that hit the aquifer. So yeah. that was so close to going worst case scenario. And then Chernobyl piled in and, and then we went anti-nuclear. I'm with you. There's so much technology has been delivered oh. since then with the uh, uh, pebble nukes, I think they call them where these are like suitcase size nuclear reactors that power buildings or can power buildings or power small cities. Yeah, and Canada's buying reactors that'll power 200,000 homes, who? right? Canada. Yeah. Because they're, so, they're complete fucking idiots. But the cool part is that you don't need, you know, the meltdowns occur because the radioactive rods, the radiation, the uranium rods are lowered into water to cool them down. And so what happens is that you know, Fukushima and Japan similarly got over flooded with salt water and shut down that kind of cooling pond area and it overheated. So these little suitcase nukes, and I'm not talking about weapons, I'm talking about reactors. They have a, a you know, a core in there and it's just a little module. You know, I don't want to say what size, but, you know, you just slide it in and pull it out and yeah. there's your radioactive waste. There's no like emissions coming out oh. of the cooling tower. There's no rods to save. It's a little tiny thing. Yeah, you got to save that for a while, but you can store well, that. We also now have reactors that will run off of nuclear waste from other reactors. And That's interesting. Also, I did not know that. Yeah, and we also have uh, reactors that don't produce waste that can be used and it doesn't use waste that can be used in weapons. So no, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's cool. We've solved these problems, right? We've solved the extreme dangers, just like the example you were talking about about these small reactors. And here's the thing: how many decades now have we had small nuclear reactors on ships? Right? It's not yeah. like we didn't have the ability to deliver this. And and that's the pitiful part. While we're screaming, the same people that have been screaming about climate change, and I'm I'm one of them, but then the environmentalists who've been screaming about it are the ones adamantly opposed to nuclear. And it's like, I, gee, this whole kind of like human propensity to overreact to shit and then cause more harm from the overreaction is incredibly frustrating. You know, the interesting part is that was all done before Twitter. <laughs> so now when that shit happens, it's just like out of control. Right. But look, you're right. It's the fact that the Greens, like when, I want to say like the 80s, pro well, not the, the protest movement, but part of it was that anti-nuke movement that bundled in weapons because uh, I want to, I remember some intermediate Pershing, intermediate range nuclear weapons going into Europe after the Russians put something somewhere else. And um, 
you know, a big fight. So the environmentalists and anti-war group were all lumped against nuclear weapons, which is their logical, you know, war, nuclear weapons, but also sure. nuclear reactors. And right. I never really, and that was, I think, because of what you said, you know, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island and all those, everybody thinks nuclear reactor meltdown and they see an atomic bomb going off on their head, exactly. you know, a mushroom cloud. Um, it's nasty. There's a blow off plume and stuff, but it's not an explosion like that. So I think we all got super, super scared of it. But but I have noticed that I see a lot of that progressives moving toward nuclear power now. And so I think the environmentalists are the type that if you can convince them that it's better than, um, you know, the other technologies as a, you know, is it better than that gas? You yeah, know, that's a transition technology in the carbon. Exactly. Model. So exactly. maybe it's a transition right now. They can accept that. But but in the end, you know, don't forget what comes behind this hopefully, is the fusion reactors. Yeah. So that's unlimited energy and no environmental impact. So I, I'm, I'm a pro-nuke guy. Me no, too. Yeah. Sean said he's missing the show today. And I saw that. Those are both his cups, and he just feels like he would be too trash to watch, or if he's got a he's got a date or something. But you know, No, I think he, he, he impresses me as a two-fisted, two-handed drinker guy. But particularly for the, uh, and that's a compliment, particularly for the Guinness, you know, you know how long it takes to pour those things. I'm such a fucking weak tit American. I cannot drink the heavy beers. Just cannot. Well, I mean, I, 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 I don't particularly like, mm, I'm a quarter Budweiser. Well, I'm not a Budweiser guy either. I'm not really a beer guy anymore just because it's too, um, I don't know. I'm in this dilemma where I try to drink beer so I don't get like lit up. But at the same time, it's like the hops and malts and stuff. You know, if you're anti, I'm not a strict anti-gluten guy or anything like that. But there's all that shit in there that messes up your insides, at least mine. Yeah. And so I try to drink drinks. Um, but of course, you know, you get in trouble there, too. But I can drink a Guinness. But the, what yeah. the point is, they, it might be a two for one happy hour. Also, it might be they said you want another one because it takes a long time to pour those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it might just have because you can see how the head's gone down on that back one a little bit. Yeah, so it's been sitting yeah. there for a while. So it might That's be a two right. for one happy hour. Oh yeah, nobody's drink out of that when you can tell. Yeah. But I gotta say, his um he should probably be on Instagram. He's got the photography game down. He's got the like perspective. He made sure to get the cigarettes and the ashtray in there. So, you know, we get that full, you know, Sean persona mixed in, yeah. not just the beers. Most people would have pushed those out of the way. Not Sean, man. He's like I'm all out here. I'm open. I'm letting the whole world know. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? The what the freak? Who cares, right? I love it. Fucking love. I it. mean, I wanted to ask him what I saw that that's Marlboro cigarettes, but I was curious if it was the equivalent of like lights or mediums or the old. Oh, no, I've never seen a black package of Marlboros. Must be a European thing. But I think I he saw, bought. Yeah, I saw it on the lid. Too. I think if you look at that lid right there, I think it says oh, Marlboro. Oh, gold. He's oh, in on that. Maybe Marlboro's upgrade. Wait, how did I go sideways? Back in the day. Okay. Marlboro Gold just had the gold package on it, but maybe they've uh, upgraded it. Quit smoking. Stay alive for those close to you. All right. Oh, bust Joe. I'm still here, guys. My phone had my other. All right. Guy. So up, Joe. Um, got yeah. some stuff on games and NFTs I'm going to talk about, but uh, we'll save it for another show. Yeah. Uh, you have a link here about the labor worker shortages are fueling America's biggest labor crisis. I don't know if you want to touch on that real quick, but we've it's done a lot. Too much. Let's save that all for tomorrow because there was some good macro in there too. I was going to follow yeah. up, but we'll do that tomorrow. Um, I just James, to... mm -hmm. go ahead. 
go ahead. Remind everybody, I've been putting all these docs in our subreddit repository. Yeah, yeah so get in there and comment. Hmm? I want everybody to get in there and chat, man. Get in there and talk. Yeah, and you can download it. It's just going into a Google Drive of mine. So I'm just going to keep dumping everything there. I'll tweet out many of them, but I'll, I'll everything will be there. You can download it all. I mean, yeah. they're long reports. And there's a cool one in there from the OECD that was from 1999, and it's their forecast report. And look at that page 172 and read through that. And it makes all the calls for the next 20 years. And then it's kind of humorous just to see what, what came true and what didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Now we do have some upvotes in there. So we got a little participation starting, but we got to get more people in here. So, uh, I, I, uh, uh, Niblets, Amen, James, Shizzy, Sean, but the four of you first, thank you for participating. But, uh, you know, I know you guys don't have a life. Come on, get over here and play. Come over here. Come over here. To, come over here to Reddit. I'm just kidding. I know you have a life. I'm just playing. And by the way, Eamon, when are we going to hear some news? We're waiting. Yeah, what, what, when, uh, when do we, when do we get in? When do we get, what do we get? What are we getting? Um, yeah, so we can save most of that for tomorrow, but that is my admin thing. And of course, the only thing, if anybody knows how to tweet and have, the link or the attachment go from there straight into a Google drive or something or how I can tweet and have it automatically go to LinkedIn. Cause I'm getting tired of LinkedIn. I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah, you're wasting your time. They are kind of boring over there. It's and so I noticed, boring, dude. And I noticed my viewership over there on LinkedIn has kind of fallen off a little bit on first days, but it's, well, cause you're not giving any, you know, inspirational quotes, Joe, what oh. the fuck you're supposed to do inspirational quotes and then um, spam everybody on your list with your um, life coaching services. So something like um, if you've had a rough night out and you find yourself with a crushed beer can in your pocket and a cigarette butt <laughs> stuck to your face and your eyes packed up with whatever and you're waking up in the dirt, give me a call. I'll help you get up. Hashtag sunrise. <laughs> Oh, dude, that's fucking awesome. Where the fuck did that come from? Oh, dude, I just, you know, I, well, you know, I'm a visualization guy. I wish, I assume people see things the way I do in my head, yeah. but I was trying to, I want to also find someone who can, um, well, I have plenty of people who can do this, but I want, dude, I always thought that was great too, but I, you know, I was going to say something on Twitter and I felt like I might be inappropriate, but I'm going to say it here because there's really, it's more appropriate. But I was gonna go, Did your wife know about this girlfriend? <laughs> dude she's so hot she's 52 years old and she's lost i was wrong she's lost 48 pounds awesome, in three and a half months she's i love that she's so hot i'm just so proud of her well look you know i mean guys get old and get character women get older and everything that they counted on in their youth just starts getting taken away from them and yeah. that's just a hard thing and yeah. so I bet that her positive mental attitude is probably it's it's better. a dramatic change in her state of mind, like yeah. dramatic, it's unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. And, there, and, and look, and this is uh, you guys are doing that uh, walk-in one, right? The walk-in. Yeah, program. yeah. We um, use walk-in, and we get the treadmill going, and you know, we're gonna start doing weights and shit soon. We haven't done any cool. of that. It's been all uh, all um, cardio, but that'll anyway. help you out a lot too, because then you start burning more calories. Yeah. Um, but there's something else I was going to ask about that. Um, I, there's an article in the New York Times today on walking. I'll, I'll put it in the, uh, I'll tweet it out. 
Okay. But it was all about, you know, this guy or gal who always wants to go to the parks and stuff to exercise and then the whole to have, you know, get with nature. And then the whole thing got too hard and it was uh, expectations just weren't getting met. And what this person found was just walking around their neighborhood outside of their house, yep. like bare feet in the grass, listen to the birds, feel the breeze, you know, just get into that sensory overload. And, you know, no phone, of course. Yeah. It just makes you that little bit of motion and movement and fresh air and sun and breeze. It just kind of picks you up, man. It makes a huge difference. It sucks here in Miami because right now, yeah. there's, there's no hiking. There's It's all flat. There's some wooded places, but they're filled with mosquitoes. You know, it's really frustrating because we, we used to walk, you know, our neighborhood all the time. And, and near us, we have like crocodiles at a park near us. And, you know, you can go see nature a bit. And, and we do that. But in the summer, phew, no, it's just not worth it. It's brutal. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's hot. I can remember playing tennis out there and feeling like, you know, I'd come back from those trips to Asia and, you know, I'd get out on a tennis court and it felt like I had like caught buckets full of concrete around my feet. I was so oh, slow. And then yeah. you kind of, I'm like standing out there and, you know, you just <laughs> start getting dizzy and oh, nobody can see me. I'm motioning it. But, um, cause I'm on my laptop, I don't have the camera on, but you start feeling like, God damn, if this isn't going to kill me, I don't know what will. Right. But, it's that strong, guys and guys, yeah, people. Yeah. It's tough. And, you know, you just don't. I mean, when people go off to bike and do hills, they go across the causeway, the Rickenbacker Causeway over to Key Biscayne, that yep. big bridge there. That's the hill. Yeah, that's the only hill. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear people biking, mountain biking in Oletta Park up by like 166, going over yep. to the Sunny Isles area, I think. There's some little hills in there. Yeah, the only other hills are the the landfills. Um, yeah. the 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 thing that's sad is every time we go to Colorado, you know, we would we would hike all day every day in yeah. Colorado if we didn't have other shit to do, right? And that's that's like where we want to be, someplace where you know there's nature to explore, and you know, it's just uh, it's frustrating. Well, look, man, when you get up every day and it's hard. I mean, I've there's a couple of those resorts I like to go to, and you're right out of the door. There's a trail going up the mountain. And I mean, yeah. literally, it takes three hours to get up it. Exactly. And you're halfway up going WTF all over the place. And you're grinding. And it's like one foot after another because you're at altitude. You're like 9,000, 10,000 feet. You're grinding. Yeah. But then you get to the top and you're like, what the heck? I made it. And there's a <laughs> bar and a restaurant. And then you take the lift down. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Down. Because that's exactly. the hardest. The down yep. on the knees is worse. But yep. you get so ripped, you lose so much weight, you get rid of stress, and you're passing out at like, you know, five o'clock at night. Yeah. Sleeping. So it's just that kind of exercise. I mean, those like, what would we call it? Like a 40,000 step day in the mountains. Yeah. You know, where you're covering like 16 miles. I mean, it's awesome. you don't get ripped doing that for two weeks. Yeah. I don't know what will, but anyhow. All right, you and I are talking to ourselves. Everybody's yeah, talking to ourselves. Anyhow. We lost everybody. <laughs> we got two diehards, but that might be us. <laughs> no, that's not us. <laughs> it was my bad. I shouldn't have gotten personal, but I just wanted Hi, to. Bro. But hey, man, yeah, good for her. Niblets Damon James, she, thank you so much for participating today. We love you and appreciate you. Everybody, please rate and review us on Apple, iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, and subscribe and click the little bell on YouTube if that's where you're watching. Hey, Shizzy's still here. Yay. Hey, my man. 
<laughs> thanks. Thanks for being patient, man. Uh, we appreciate, we love all of you, and uh, we look forward to talking to you tomorrow. By the way, I want to send notice now, Joe, we will not be having a show next Monday. Okay. I will be with my son at Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. Oh, cool. So um, I hope everyone has a wonderful day. That's all I got, Joe. Yeah, I'm good. Um, you know, just, I don't know, go catch up on your reading, build some projects. Do what needs to be done for the next run because we are going to need more product going at the next bull market. So totally, everybody totally. do what you can and we'll just hopefully help you out on that front. And Adios. See you guys tomorrow. Thanks. Ciao, buddy.